Like Moshe said, my name is Jordan. I have the honor of being at Waypoint full-time, which means I get to spend every day here, which is so nice. Um, and the honor of serving under Pastor CJ and Pastor Nat. They are truly some of the best leaders I've ever come across. And if you spend any amount of time with them, you'll know that they are leaders who honor and encourage um, and really just want us to grow in what God has for us. So I'm very grateful for them this morning. I don't think I'd be standing here if it wasn't for them. Truly, truly. Um, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to 1 Samuel 18. We're going to be flipping around there. It's when you, you know, Old Testament, not everyone reads it all the time. So give you some time to find it. I just want to pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We just ask Holy Spirit, you would open our hearts, and open our minds. And you would guide our thoughts as we hear your word today. Holy Spirit, would you give a fresh revelation on what it means to grow and what it means to grow together. Amen. Amen. Like Moshe said, our word for the year is grow, right? Green, grow. We've been talking a lot about analogies with plants and growing and trees, and it's been great. I've learned a lot about agriculture as well as growing spiritually in the last couple of weeks. Um, it's been beautiful. Pastor Natalie shared a ton of wisdom last week. She's, her topic was, uh, it's time to grow up, which when she said it, I was like, Phew. okay, <laughs> it's time to grow up. It's time to grow up in our faith and our walk with God. Um, and she shared how important it is to allow our root systems to grow deep in the love of Christ and in his word and to be firmly planted on his word. And there's not much more I could say about that. She brought so much wisdom. So today I want to take a look at something different. Something that I think is a blind spot and maybe a sensitive topic for many of us. So if we have made the decision, right? If you've come to the decision, like, I believe in Jesus. I'm planting myself on his word. My question for all of us this morning is, who have you planted yourself next to? So if you're taking notes, the title of the message this morning is Growing Together. I was out in Hanky a couple of weeks ago. It was my first time there. I always drive past the sign, never actually turn to go and see. But we went out there to celebrate Sam's birthday. It's such a beautiful town. Um, literally so much fruit. It's full of citrus farms. But it's so beautiful and so, so hot. Lord have mercy. I did not think it was going to be that hot. I remember driving and I had a bunch of like the boys in my car. We were all like sweating in this little polo. And I remember thinking, God, oh, Jesus, I'm so glad you saved me because I was not made for heat. <laughs> Let me tell you, I'm very grateful and I know where I'm going. <laughs> but I noticed as we're driving, and I know we've used this analogy a lot if you've been with us the last couple of weeks, that the farmers have planted every single farm. I didn't see a single farm where they didn't plant the trees in rows. Like it was very ordered in rows. And then I noticed that every tree, even if it was like the last tree at the end of the piece of land had at least two trees next to it. Like it was not like alone random. It had at least two trees next to it. And Pastor CJ explained to us a couple of weeks ago, he said that farmers do this because trees use less energy when they are planted close together, when they're planted next to each other. And that because they use less energy, it allows them to grow better, to grow stronger and to produce better fruit. The same way that trees influence one another as they grow, we as people influence one another as we grow. We are people of influence. If you didn't know that this morning, I'd like to tell you, you carry influence. 
and you are influencing and being influenced by the people you choose to have around you, the people in your circle. So then I was thinking, if planting trees next to each other is so beneficial, and if we know that God says it's important for us to be in community, right? What would happen if, if a, a healthy tree was planted next to a, a dead tree, or like an infected tree, a tree that maybe wasn't healthy? So I, obviously I'm not a farmer. So I did some research and that meant I went to Google and uh, Auntie Nelly's always got my back with the jokes. <laughs> um, so I looked, okay, if a tree that is not healthy is left like next to a healthy tree, what happens? And it, what happens is the healthy tree becomes infected with whatever that tree had and begins to die the same way that tree died. And then I looked at, okay, if you have like one like really strong, healthy tree, and then it's like around a lot of dead or like unhealthy disease trees, what happens, right? And again, every single time, that tree is then infected with whatever those trees had. There's this, this phrase, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. There was a study done that says a person is the sum of the five closest people to them. So again, I ask, and I think it's a valid question, who are you planted next to? The biggest lie the enemy will try and tell us is that just because we're saved and we've chosen Jesus, it doesn't mean our lives need to change, right? It means, okay, you're saved now, so you add things to your life. You come to church, maybe you join a belong group, you come to prayer now and then, you open your Bible or you have the Bible app and you read the verse of the day and you add all these things to your life. That is one of the biggest lies. Deciding to follow Jesus isn't adding Jesus to your life. It's a turning away from what your life was in order to step into what Jesus has called you to. To step into the life that Jesus has prepared for you. It's a turning from the old, leaving the old behind in order to step into the new. The old has to go in order for the new to come. It's not a, oh, I experienced a new fresh life on a Sunday, but I'm in the comfort of my old life. Monday to, to Saturday. We don't see fruit like that. Things have to change. Our habits have to change. Our mindset has to change. Our belief system changes. But what I'm asking today is, does your community need to change? Do your friendships need to change? Because our friends form us, whether we think it or not. Like that, that saying, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Do you show me the fruit that your friends are producing? I can tell you why you're stuck. Who speaks into your life? You guys, there are chairs. George and Abby are hiding in the back. So <laughs> what happens when you come late to church, guys. Don't do that. You get called out by your friends. <laughs> Sitting on the floor in the back. Who speaks into your life? Who is that person you go to for advice? Who do you share your vision with? Who speaks into your vision? Who is your inner circle, right? Even Jesus had an inner circle. He had the 12 and he had the three. Who is your inner circle? Who has access to your heart and to your mind? Who have you planted yourself next to? Because the people we're in relationship with will directly impact how we grow in our relationship with God. And scripture is very clear about it. Proverbs says, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. As iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. 
In Amos 3, it says, can two walk together unless they agree on the direction, right? You have to be in agreement with the people you're walking with. Proverbs 12 says, the righteous should choose his friends carefully, for the way of the wicked leads them astray. The righteous should choose his friends carefully. I want to jump into our scripture for today in 1 Samuel 18 and take a look at two men who had a very God-honoring friendship. And if you look in, there's obviously a, a bunch of friendships in the Bible, a bunch of people that were partnered together and did life together. But these two had something very special. So we're going to read. After David had finished talking with Saul, he met Jonathan, the king's son. There was an immediate bond between them, for Jonathan loved David. From that day on, Saul kept David with him and wouldn't let him return home. And Jonathan made a solemn pact. In different translation it says, and Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as he loved himself. Jonathan sealed the pact, sealed the covenant by taking off his robe, giving it to David together with his tunic, his sword, his bow, and his belt. I want to bring some context to this because maybe you don't know who these people are, so this doesn't really mean much. Right, David, uh, King David, many people know him as, he was a shepherd boy, the least in his family, and his family was the least in the community, right? It's not the person you look to for, for much. It's not the person you expect much from. And God chose him to be king. Saul was king of the day. He wasn't honoring the Lord anymore, and the Lord decided he needed to anoint a new king. So Samuel came in and he anointed David, and David spent the rest of his time being a shepherd boy in the, the fields tending to his sheep, to his father's sheep. One day his older brothers were fighting in a war, and David went to bring them food and saw there was this massive Philistine, an unbeliever, this giant, that was coming against them. And no one would step out in faith to fight this guy. And David was like, well, I'm going to fight him. I know who my God is. And he had this amazing victory, and this is when he comes to speak to Saul. So he comes to share the story. And something in what David was saying resonated with Jonathan. If we read in 1 Samuel 14, we see that Jonathan had a similar story. He was also fighting people who were coming against God's army, and he spoke, he was just him and one other person, his armor bearer. He says, let's go across to the outpost to those pagans. Jonathan said to his armor bearer, perhaps the Lord will help us, for nothing can hinder the Lord. He can win a battle whether he has many warriors or only a few. Then we go to what David experienced with Goliath in 1 Samuel 17. David replied to the Philistine, you come to me with sword, spear, and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Today the Lord will conquer you, and I will kill you and cut off your head. He says a bunch of hectic stuff. And then he says, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people, but not with sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle, and he will give you to us. So you see, there's something similar about these two men. They both carried a zeal. They were on fire for God. They had a deep faith in him, and they relied on him heavily, even to the point of battle, right? Something in Jonathan resonated with something that was in David. 
And this thing that bonded them, that sparked this immediate bond, was their faith, their genuine faith in God. And maybe you're thinking, oh, but they're both warriors, you know, both young guys. There was 30 years age difference between these two guys. Jonathan was 50-ish. Who do I research? He was a prince, a decorated warrior. He lived his life in a palace. David was early 20s, came from a family that meant nothing, really. He was a shepherd boy, didn't have much to his name except for the fact that he just defeated Goliath. But it wasn't all these things, right? It wasn't their social class, their age difference. Doesn't matter if their races were different, their gender was different, if they had the same interests. Those things were all fleeting when it comes to relationships, right? When it comes to friendships. The thing that sparked that immediate bond was their genuine faith. And that was the foundation that their friendship was built on. This, this genuine faith in the Lord. Our relationship with Jesus should be the most important thing in our lives. If it's not, that's a different conversation to have, right? But as believers, Jesus is above all. He is everything. When we say, hey, I'm putting up my hand, I believe in Jesus, we're also saying he is Lord of my life. We're saying, I believe you and I'm following you, right? I'm turning away from everything. We see the disciples drop everything to follow Jesus. And that should be our heart posture, that Jesus is everything to us. And it's this belief, this God is everything to me. He is my rescuer. He is my redeemer. This is what their friendship was built on. When we are living our lives alongside other people who have a deep love for God, it does something in us, right? It sparks something in us. It sparks an immediate bond, right? That goes beyond the surface level stuff. Not only that, but as believers, we are people on mission. We are not just people that gather and sing songs and clap hands, right? We are people called to live on mission. Jesus tells us this in Matthew 28. I'm just going to find it now. She's on it. She's on it. I'm going to read it here. Therefore, go out and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. doesn't matter if you're an introvert or an extrovert. You like people or you don't really like people. This is the mission God has given us and entrusted to us that we would go out, that we would make disciples of the nations. That includes your neighbors, includes the people sitting outside church, includes the person sitting opposite you in a coffee shop. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. That is not a mission that is valued in the world around us. It's not something celebrated outside of our community, right? It's not the norm to live a life with that specific purpose. It's not normal. And I think in order to accomplish that, in order to be excited about it, to be zealous about it, to keep moving for that mission, we need people around us to encourage us in it. People that are moving in the same direction. It's like going for a run. I am not a runner. Recently, a lot of people in our church have become runners. I blame Jade and Uncle Merv but I'm happy for them. The few times I have gone running, which is not often, but anyway, I've noticed that I run a lot further and I enjoy it a lot more if I'm running alongside people because we're sharing it together. 
we're encouraging one another. At different parts in the run, we're like, oh, I can't do this. They're like, no, we can do it, we can do it, we can do it, right? If I run alone, five minutes, I think I'm gonna do a walk instead, right? I'm gonna slow down. It's the same when I walk with God. If we have people around us, come, we're tasting God, we're growing, we're growing, we're doing this. Come, get up. I know you're feeling bad. We're gonna do this, we're gonna do this. When our friendships are based on that genuine faith in God, we grow a lot better. And it's a lot easier to stay on mission because we are surrounded by people who are moving in a direction, who value the things we value, that are convicted by the word of God and that are becoming more and more and more like Jesus. Something else we can see in this friendship is that it's very intentional. I think it would have to be, right? It says, and Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as he loved himself. Remember, this was instant. This wasn't like, oh, they saw each other, fifth time they had coffee, hey, we should be friends, tenth time they have dinner, hey, let's, let's do this thing together. There was an immediate bond. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as he loved himself. That language is used a lot with Jesus. We are called to love people as we love ourselves. Jonathan then sealed this covenant by taking off his robe and giving it to David together with his tunic, sword, bow, and belt. Jonathan made a covenant with David. We see this often when God makes a covenant with his people. We speak about it when people are getting married. There's a marriage covenant, right? A covenant is an agreement that brings about a relationship of commitment between two people. That takes intention. Ask anyone who's prepared to get married. It's a very intentional. Recently, Megan and Daniel got married. Watching them, yeah, watching them journey together to get married, so intentional. And they did it beautifully, so intentional. It takes care. It takes purpose. And our lack of intentionality, thinking friends are just friends and they'll come along, will be our Achilles heel in community. The same way Rome could never have been built in a day, a deep friendship takes work. It takes intention, it takes effort, and it takes going out of our way. Our lack of intentionality in community will leave us alone or planted next to dead trees. Because if we aren't growing, we're dying, right? If a tree is not growing, there's something wrong with it. It's something unhealthy. We also see if we keep reading about Jonathan and David that their friendship was filled with loyalty 1 Samuel 19 says, Saul told his son Jonathan and all the attendants to kill David. Now maybe you're wondering what happened because Saul was like, you can't leave, you must stay with us, we love you. David continued to fight battles for the Lord and there was victory upon victory upon victory. And people began praising him higher than Saul and jealousy grew within Saul against David. Saul also knowing that David was gonna be king one day, this jealousy started eating away at him. So he told Jonathan and his attendants to kill David. But Jonathan had taken a great liking to David. He loved him as he loved himself. He made a covenant with him. So he went to David and he warned him, my father Saul is looking for a chance to kill you. Be on your guard tomorrow morning. Go into hiding and stay there. I will go out and stand with my father in the field where you are and I will speak to him about you and will tell you what I find out. Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father. He's talking to his dad. 
and said to him, let not the king do wrong to his servant David. He has not wronged you. And what has he done but benefited you greatly? He took his life in his hands when he killed the Philistine. The Lord won a great victory for all Israel, and you saw it and were glad. Why then would you do wrong to an innocent man like David by killing him for no reason? We see that Jonathan was loyal to David. And we see that Jonathan came to David's defense, even when it comes to his dad, right? This is his family. And he was loyal even to his family. He didn't go, oh, David, like run and hide and I'll let you know when it's safe. He came to his defense. He said, Father, why would you? He reminded him of who David was, reminded him of the truth of what David had done. And we see that in the beginning, Saul believed it, right? He was like, okay, I'm gonna spare him. That's cool. Jonathan even rebuked his father and recalled David's faithfulness in him in killing Goliath. I wonder what loyalty like that would look like for us today. Maybe our dad's not trying to kill our bestie, right? But there's moments where you need to have the person's back, not just in word, but in action. Not only that, but if I'm loyal to you, I'm gonna care a lot more about what God's doing in your life than how you feel about it, right? When you're sitting in your sin or sitting in your comfort, I'm gonna call you out. I'm gonna hold you accountable. When you start hanging out with people that you know you shouldn't be around, hanging in spaces that are not honoring God, in spaces that are not gonna bring fruit in your life, I'm gonna call you out. I'm be like, hey bro, God's called you. You're supposed to be living on mission. This is not living on mission. Because I care more about what God's doing in your life and honoring God's word in our friendship than how you feel about me in the moment of calling you out. We see that true friendship sacrifices. The world tells us that relationships should be easy, it should be comfortable. Your friends, you know, it's just all about loving each other and having fun. But we see in the Bible that friendship sacrifices and that it lacks all self-interest. We continue to read that Jonathan, when we read there, Jonathan gave David his clothes and his military garb. And the significance of that is that Jonathan was a prince. He grew up in the palace. He had the rightful space to be king. But seeing David, he could see what God had called him to. He knew what God had anointed him for. So he stepped aside. He was like, God has called you to be king, not me. And he had a physical representation of taking off his clothing, his, his princely garments, and laying it on David, anointing him and cherishing him. Rather than being jealous, the same way Saul was, Jonathan submitted to God's will and sacrificed his own right to the throne. Not only that, but Saul became obsessed with killing David. Completely obsessed. Jealousy was running rife in his life. And he wanted nothing more than see David dead. And time and time again, Jonathan would come to David's defense over and over to the point where Saul became so enraged, he threw a spear at him. His own dad, a spear. Can you believe it? He sacrificed his relationship with his father because he knew that what he, the friendship he had was honoring God and he knew that his loyalty was worth it. He knew that sacrifice was worth it. A relationship that is fruitful will never be very convenient. It has to cost us something. The same way our relationship with God costs us our comfort, it costs our old life. Having a fruitful relationship with one another 
it's going to cost our comfort. It's going to cost our time. It's going to cost us, hey, my friend needs me. but I'm super tired. I want to go take a nap. It costs us, I'm, this person's not eating. I'm going to make them a meal. I'm going to make sure they're okay. I'm going to make sure they know what's happening. I'm going to make sure they know the truth that God is speaking over them. We see in chapter 20 that Jonathan and David were also free to express their emotions with one another, which meant they even sacrificed their pride and gave each other permission to be real about what was going on. They weren't worried, oh, my friend's going to judge me if they know what I did yesterday. They said, hey, I messed up. I'm feeling low. I'm depressed. I need you. Jesus goes as far to say in John 15, greater love has no one than this, that he lay down one's life for one's friend. Jesus laid down his life for us. And he's calling us that there's no greater love, no better way to do friendship, to love one another than to lay down one's life for each other, to sacrifice for our friends. And I wonder what that looks like for us today. Maybe it's our comfort. Maybe it's our meal. Maybe it's our wallet. Maybe it's opening our home. Maybe it's when you're super tired after a long day. You get on the phone. You go to the person's house. You make time. You sacrifice. We see in Jonathan and David's friendship that they encouraged one another in faith. And they reminded one another of the word of God and the promises God had for them. With Saul being out to get David, he went from being praised in Israel to being a nomad. A man who won victory after victory, living in the king's palace to being homeless, alone, hunted down, and exceptionally depressed. If we read in Samuel, we see that there was a point where David was in a cave. He had nothing and no one. Deeply, deeply depressed. Jonathan came to find him. This is what happened. Do not be afraid, Jonathan told his young friend. He added this reassurance. My father Saul will not find you. On what was that reassurance based? On Jonathan's deep faith that God had a purpose and that his purpose would succeed for his friend's life. He went on to say, you will be king of Israel. He reminded him of what he'd been anointed to do in his depressed state, in his state of feeling hopeless and alone. He came to find him and he brought the truth of God's word in front of him. Because where truth comes, the lies of our feelings have to flee. Often we think, oh, I just need a friend to like make me some hot chocolate and tell me it's going to be okay. No, you need someone that's going to confront your feelings and be like, hey, this is what God has said about you. That you are called, you are anointed. This is what he promised you. Remember last year that person prophesied that over you. Don't forget that. We are called to bring the truth of God's word in front of one another. He came to encourage his friend in a dark place and remind him what God had declared over his life. He came to reassure, to encourage, and to remind David of what he was called to. We see an interesting thing that I want to highlight here when Jesus is talking to his disciples. Jesus had begun to share that, hey, I'm gonna, we're going to go down to this place and they're going to kill me. But it's going to be okay. It's what our father wants. And Peter came. He was in Jesus' inner circle. He came, Jesus, that will never happen. I'll never let that happen. You will never die. And Jesus turned to Peter and he said, get away from me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap for me. 
you are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. How often do we fall into the trap that Peter did? Do we say, hey, that's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. But God said it was going to happen. We need to be people and we need people in our lives that don't just see things from a human point of view, that feed us in our feelings and our emotions because we have a right to feel that way, but say, hey, what is God doing? What did God say about the situation? We need to surround ourselves with people that care more about, hey, what is God saying about this than how you feel about it? So are there people in our circles who are more concerned with our feelings or are they more concerned with what God is doing in our lives? I came across the quote and it said, true friendship according to the word of God involves loyalty, sacrifice, compromise, and emotional attachment. That means we have to let people in, right? People can't come and encourage us and bring us the word of God in a dark place if they don't know we're in a dark place. We need to allow people into our lives for the highs and the lows. We can't just want to be celebrated and have a bunch of people around us and isolate ourselves when we're depressed, when we're feeling anxious in the low seasons. Friend, could it be the reason that maybe you're not seeing growth in your life? It's because you've planted yourself next to something that is dead. And maybe I'm offending you. Maybe you feel like you're defending your friends in this moment, but the Bible is offensive. And it's clear that it's righteous and unrighteous. Those that are in the light and those that are in darkness. Those that have eternal life and those that are dead. And let me tell you, just because your friends come to church on a Sunday, it doesn't mean that they are living with Jesus. It doesn't mean they're walking in the light, right? I said in the beginning, it's not Jesus adding to your life. Being like, okay, now I'm including Jesus in all these things I'm doing. It's a turning away. And maybe for some of us, we didn't fully turn away. Maybe there's things that we're doing and people in our lives that are not fruitful, that are not bringing life, that are keeping us stuck in our habits, stuck in our sin. Scripture said, can two walk together unless they agree on the direction? If you are walking with Jesus and someone is not, friend, you're walking in two different directions. And maybe you're thinking, so now what, Jordan, I can't be friends with Christians. Is that what you're saying? That sounds super religious. That's not what I'm saying. You can be friends to Christians. I'm asking you who's in your inner circle, who you planted next to. And what I am saying is that if you decide that those are your people, if you're going to do life with people who are not choosing to grow in their relationship with God, that you won't see growth. I can promise you that. You will stay stuck in the same habits, the same addictions, and the same sin. As seen it personally in my own life, the seasons that I've grown the most are when I'm holding on to people who love Jesus and I'm allowing them access to everything that's in my heart so they can speak into it and they can correct me. The seasons that I've grown the most is when I'm holding on to friends and I'm saying, hey, correct me. I don't know what's going on. And I'm allowing them access and I've grown even more when I've been that friend, when I've encouraged, I've corrected and I've been able to stand there and pull someone out. But when I say pull someone out, I'm not saying pulling them from death to life. I'm saying from the pit where they feel in their feelings into the truth of what God's saying. And I see it daily and it really breaks my heart. And it's something we all struggle with. In preparing this, I had to check my heart and say, who am I planted next to? 
Who am I giving access to my heart and my vision, what God's saying in my life? But I use Sam as an example. Sam was saved, as he did this in the first service, so he's not shocked anymore. Sam got saved two years ago. Two years. Sam has grown immensely for someone who's only been saved two years. He went from living in a life of sin to two years later being in full-time ministry and being a youth leader, leading the next generation to Jesus, right? That is immense growth. If you know Sam's testimony, immense growth. I believe God protected Sam. Sam came to us. I remember him sharing, saying he, after he got saved, he had no one. All his friends turned away from him. That's a lonely place to be in. But God has blessed Sam in such a way that he is filled with community now. He has friends that correct him, that love him, that encourage him, and that champion him into what God has called him to. But it took him leaving all those people, not chasing after them, being like, hey, we can still be friends, and I'm going to compromise my faith because you want to go to the bar, even though I feel God's convicting me about not drinking. Hey, we, okay, we can still go to that party and do those things because we're buddies, and, you know, I can be light in the darkness, and I can do these things. A tree planted in a field of dead trees is going to die. It's going to. God protected Sam. But maybe for some of you, that didn't happen. And you have people that you've planted yourself next to that, hey, that person, I love them, but they're not, they're not for this season. You can love them. I'm not saying don't be friends with, with people who aren't Christians. I'm saying don't give them access. Don't, we are called to live on mission, right? We are called to reach the lost. We're not called to be planted next to them. We are called to be planted in a holy community so we have the strength to reach out. But if we're planted in a sea of dead people, right, if we're putting ourselves out there in the last saying, I'm going to be the light in my friend group. Yeah, you are, but your light may dim. You may not be alive for very long and you might not shine very bright. Pastor Natalie shared a scripture and I want to read it for us again. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have the power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide, how long, how high, how deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God, together with all God's holy people that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. There comes a time in our lives where we have to make a decision. And I think sometimes when we raise our hands in church, we don't put this in front of each other enough. And we need to realize that it's, we can't compromise on this. So I wanna put it in front of us today. How much longer is our fear of being alone, being judged, being an outcast, how much longer will that keep us from experiencing the fullness of what God has called us to? The fullness of his love and his grace and his mercy. The fullness of living a fruitful life, a life that honors God. And I promise I'm not preaching this at you. This is a journey the Holy Spirit has been taking me on. But we need to take account of who are we planting ourselves next to. Because the devil will tell you, hey, if you leave those people, you're going to be alone. Sitting here today, you're not alone. If you don't have friends, join a belong group. You'll make friends very quickly, I promise. Yes, 
you will probably be judged. Sam was judged. I was judged. There may be moments where it feels really tough and you ask God, God, what's happening? I've said no to these things. What's going on? Be intentional. It takes time. But I can promise you there's fruit in this house. There's fruit in belong groups. And if you decide, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make friends here. I'm planting myself next to that person. I see that they love Jesus. I'm going to go up to them and be like, hey, can we be friends? Be awkward about it. One of the friendships I feel like grow the most of, and I'm picking on Megan because she's sitting right here. Megan is an amazing woman of God. I'm going to cry. But she's the friendship I value the most because she calls me out and she calls a spade a spade. And when we talk, we don't just talk about random stuff. She's like, hey, like, I'm doing this thing. What do you think about it? What do you think I should do with this? She's also in full-time ministry. And we get to encourage one another. Be like, oh, I don't know about that. Let's talk about this. And it's such a fruitful friendship because we're sharpening one another. Yes, there's times to have fun and we have lots of fun. But there's also moments of sharpening. And there's moments where we have tough conversations. Be like, hey, you offended me in this. And we talk about it. Hey, I didn't like that you were intentional during this season. We get to have conversations like that. And because we understand that our friendship is not based on things that are fleeting, because we both surf. That, what if I don't surf anymore? They know we're still friends. Our friendship is based on a genuine faith. And that's why it bears fruit. I think it's worth it. I'm going to be honest with you. Over the last six months, I've had to cut off and say goodbye to many friends I've had for, many, like for years and years. But it's worth it. Yes, it's sad. Yes, there's a mourning. But it's worth it. I have grown more in the last six months than I have in the last 10 years of being a Christian. Because I've been intentional about who I'm planting myself next to. I'm not saying cut everyone off and never speak to them again. I'm saying put boundaries in place. And be sure of, hey, these are the people that are in my life. This is my inner circle. These are the people that get full access to what I'm thinking, what I'm doing, because I trust them because I know that they're seeking what God wants for me and I'm seeking what God wants for them. So I want us just to take a moment. If you don't like silence, I'm sorry. Just to pause. Even if you have to close your eyes, I want you to think of who are your closest people? Who are the people that speak into your life? Who do you go to when you need advice? I want you to think about the fruit those people show in their lives. What are their habits? Do they love God? Are they a Christian because their parents are Christian? Are they chasing after Jesus? Are we chasing after Jesus? These are the things we need to ask the Holy Spirit to show us. Because when we plant ourselves next to things that are healthy, it takes us less energy to grow. We grow stronger, we grow better, and we produce better fruit because we are planted next to things that are healthy, that are bringing life. So maybe some of us have a tough decision. Maybe you're saying, hey, I'm alone in the field. I don't have any trees planted next to me. That's okay. Join a belong group. You will make friends. Walk across the room today, ask someone for coffee. This room is filled with people that love Jesus. If you can't pick anyone, come to me. I'll be your friend, don't worry. I just want to pray for us before we close. Father, we just ask that you would send your Holy Spirit. That Holy Spirit, you would show us the decisions we need to make to grow this year. 
to grow in our relationship with you and to step into what you've called us to. Holy Spirit, will you, will you show us where we need to be more intentional in our friendships? How can we be a better friend to those people around us? How can we be intentional about growing together this year, Lord? And would you show us who we need to let go of this year? Who is keeping us stuck? And would you show us who's gonna help us grow? Holy Spirit, would you take us on this journey this week, Lord? And would you give us the courage to make the decisions you lead us to and to stick in those decisions, Lord? Amen. Amen. Well done, Torts. Yeah, when Jordan just said about the, she's grown in the last six months, I think as her, her leader, I've just seen that so evident in her life. And to just encourage you guys, Jordan walked a hard season. We walked a hard season with her. And I remember sitting in the office one day and it was like a make or break type of thing that Jordan was in the space that she couldn't see the way forward as her leaders, we could see that. But the decisions and responsibilities laid with her, right? And I just want to say, guys, don't take this message lightly. I think if, if anything, Jordan will share her testimony one day, more about the six months of her growth in her life and things that God has done. But don't take this message lightly. Who is in our circle and who is around us matters. It's, it, it matters, right? My own children are testament to that. It matters who is in around us and who has access to what's going on here. So that's the first thing. And secondly, all these beautiful young people at the back. Oh, is this Christian service? Right. So Jordan got to Jeffrey's Bay because of Christian service. And here she is preaching this morning. And I just feel like you need to pray for them, Jords, to encourage them for their year. So will you do that before we close? We embarrass them and call them to the front. <laughs> Come on. First time in church. Oh, shame. Megan says let them stay. It's okay. Um, yeah, I would encourage you guys. God has put you in a place where you're surrounded by people who are chasing after him. And to not neglect the friendships you're going to build here. Abby and George are sitting in the back. And Megan, some of my closest people, and I met them in my sea salt here. George and I did sea salt together. Don't neglect this time that God has given you to pursue him completely. So I want to pray for you guys. If you guys can reach your hands out to them at the back there. Father, we thank you for what you're doing in these young people's lives. We thank you that you called them for such a time as this, Lord. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would begin to share your plans and purposes for them as they seek you so intentionally. Holy Spirit, that you would grow them in their relationship with you and grow them in their relationship with others. We thank you that you've brought them here to Jeffrey's Bay and that we get to be a part of their story. Holy Spirit, would you continue to move? Will you show them the things they need to let go of and that when they go back home, those things stay let go of? Holy Spirit, we ask that you would bless them, that you would anoint them in their time here, that you would anoint their friendships and you would anoint their minds as they learn more about you, God. Amen. <laughs>